Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Retro Anime Podcast for Mecha March 2023. Um, so we're doing something slightly different this year and we're combining the two podcasts. So I've got with me Lewis. Say hello, Lewis. Hello there. And I'm very pleased to welcome Craig onto the podcast. Hello, Craig. Hi. Hi, everyone. So um, apologies for last year. So we were meant to do this podcast last year, but... <laughs> various life things for the three of us meant that we just never got our act together at the start of next year and recorded this in time and March yeah. just came and went and uh, events just so conspired against us didn't they it did and we just never got round to it and it got to a point where it's like right we'll just wait for it until next year so uh, here we are we're recording this so this will come out in March and, and be part of the whole uh, Mecca March celebrations that, uh, that Scott uh, started a few years ago so um and the reason why the three of us are here together, because we're doing something kind of a bit different um, and something that's kind of very special to me. So we are reviewing the 1980 puppet show X-Bomber, which was released in the UK and US as Starfleet. This was uh, something that was very kind of different on the back of sort of the, the rise of robot anime through the 70s, um, gin productions wanted to kind of do a puppet show and puppet shows weren't new you know there'd been puppet shows in Japan before this uh, especially uh, how popular Thunderbuzz was in Japan as well so Jim Productions wanted to do this show the producer kind of he struggled to get it off the ground a bit had some some difficulties um, but he spoke to Go Nagai about actually writing the story and creating it and Go Nagai was quite keen um, obviously the legend that gave birth to so many uh, super robot shows and, and really kind of kick-started the whole super robot movement in 1972 with Mazinga Z. Um, so he he was up for it and wanted, was quite keen to do something different. And they were almost trying to just do something different rather than animation because animation was really big. And so it was like, to try and differentiate, they they created X-Bomber. So we'll get into a bit of the story in a minute so we'll just talk a bit about our backgrounds with X-Bomber so uh, Craig let's uh, let's start with you yeah so um i first viewed it like in as starfleet um although a little bit later than you not only am i a little bit younger than Ian, but also um when it first aired in 82 i was probably a little bit too young to appreciate it, but my brother was a fan of it now he'd actually taped it he'd recorded it on vhs and he had like a handful of episodes. So when I first saw it, maybe about eighty four, five was you know was quite into mm. things like Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica at the time. And um, so it, the visuals just sort of I just took a shine to them. I remember you know my brother telling us about it and and uh, showing us uh, some of the episodes. And back then when I watched them, you know there was no real coherent plot to, for me to follow because it was like random episodes <laughs> that were recorded so but it didn't really matter at that age it was more about the visuals you know so I was sort of yeah. quite captivated by it uh, I just remember really loving the design of the X-Bomber and the uh, and the uh, Gelma soldiers although they, I think they called them termoids in Starfleet didn't they yeah, that's um, right, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so I just really gravitated towards it, being a big fan of, of sci-fi. And I saw maybe something like six or seven, like, sort of episodes. And and then in 2009, uh, Fabulous Films, a UK DVD company, released Starfleet yeah. in its entirety, and I, I bought it at the time. Watched yeah. it all, really enjoyed it. But I still had this kind of hanker to check out the original version, just to see what was different and see, you know, how much they had kind of... Um, 
emitted from it. And thankfully, in 2019, we got the chance because Discotech came through with yeah. the uncut release of X Bomber, uh, with the original sort of naming um, of the characters and all the uh, uncut footage and everything. So, and the original soundtrack as well. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool to finally be able to view it, and that was. Um, I think I've now seen it twice in its entirety in the original version due to it being released on disc. So the second viewing was me viewing for this podcast. Cool. And then Lewis, this obviously is your, your first, uh, this, yes, this would be <laughs> my first viewing. Um, and like you guys, I decided to go and, and watch the English dub first to get an authentic impression. Oh, that's interesting. Of cool. what it would have been like, mm-hmm. um, to see it on a, on Western screen. <laughs> and I have to say, <laughs> After watching episode one in English and then watching like episode two in the original Japanese, I, the first episode I was like, "Does the X stand for xenophobia? Like, <laughs> like, what is this?" Um, and I, I, was, I remember like I, the, the stark difference between hearing it in its original um, in its original language yeah. is like it the, the episode one in English sounds like um, it sounds like. Uh, how to describe it? The visuals accompanied with the the obvious like single tape, like first episode reading. All of these voice actors are in the same room, just like doing this like dry reading of the script in front of them, and you can tell because they're like, there's one point where he's like, "You'll be directly working." on x Palmer <laughs> as part of his introduction and it's like oh my god it's the the production difference of like six guys in a college dorm doing this because they thought it'd be a laugh and like this is a full japanese production show <laughs> <laughs> so that's my first impression yeah so um so i watched this as it originally aired in october 1982 um so i was always a fond of saturday morning tv I can remember it came with like zero fanfare. Um, mm. So there was a magazine called Looking, which I used to read. As I'm a glad kid, you mentioned that because I was I was going to mention that if you hadn't because I, I later found out about this. Yeah, so I used to read Looking as a kid while I was me like, too. At school. Yeah. Week before it aired, it like had this one this little bit in um, Looking, and then that was it. That was like all the publicity it got. And then I remember. So when you used to, oh, I can't remember what it was on ITV at the time, but there was the morning show and then there always used to be like a, a serial or type program that went on after it. And so I was sat there waiting for whatever was going to start and it was Starfleet and it just completely like blew me away that first episode and I was absolutely hooked. Now, unfortunately, so unfortunately, because like I didn't know it was coming I then stuck a videotape in the machine at the break to record it. So I then recorded it all, except for the first half of episode one. <laughs> so whenever I rewatched it, I rewatched it without watching the first half of episode one. It was quite frustrating, but it's one of those things until I got one of the uh, the cassettes, because um, there were two cassettes released. So I absolutely adored it. Um, the struggles of the VHS era. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly, on, on grainy, long-played VHS cassettes. Um, mm. So I watched it a lot, probably, you know, through sort of early to mid-80s sort of thing, and then kind of, then as I kind of got, you know, uh, to like senior school and whatever, then, you know, late junior school, that's kind of, you know, kind of maybe kind of outgrew it a little bit, because I was a massive fan of, like, Terrorhawks, but once that had finished and you kind of grow up a little bit, 
I was always a big fan of it. And then like you, Craig, when the Fabulous Productions DVD set came out in 2010, it was like, oh my God, definitely <laughs> go and buy that. So I watched that set straight away and then I watched it again a few years later. So I haven't really watched it for a decade until the discotheque. So the Scarrow Hunting Society released the first two episodes of yes. Bomber mm-hmm. as fan subs a few uh, five, six years ago. That's right. So yeah. that was the... So that was the first time I'd seen X-Bomber or mm-hmm. in it. And it, I remember watching those two episodes and it was, having only ever seen Starfleet and in its English, it was a bit kind of like, oh, it's like, it was just different because... Mm. Um, a bit of a revelation. We'll get into, yeah, it was just because um, like Starfleet is like the thing I'm most nostalgic for, mm-hmm. right? Because it was just at that age and it was... Yeah, it was just one of those things that kind of appeared at like a very formative age, mm. um, you know, and, and I I so dearly loved it as it aired. And when I uh, first thought about this podcast, which was, must be like almost 10 years ago now, I had a list I had a list of 10 things I wanted to cover initially and Starfleet was in there. <laughs> you know, I've been waiting a long, long time to, to kind of talk about Starfleet and X-Bomber. And like now, yeah, I'm through that um, discotheque, uh, standard definition blu-ray we've got you know a full 25 episode release of of x-bomb which is great and on the same disc you've got all 24 episodes of um, starfleet as well so um it's very easy to get it's in print so hopefully this podcast inspires you all to go and check it out um, yeah, absolutely so we'll get into it uh and talk about the show itself on uh, Saturday, October the 11th, 1980, and then Starfleet premiered on ITV on Saturday, October the 23rd, 1982, and it was actually the day before Star Wars was shown on British television Whoa. on the Sunday night. Wow. So, historic. Yeah. Because it became, Star Wars became a staple of, like, Christmas viewing for many years when I was a kid, and uh, and it was it was repeated so many times, so you can imagine that would have been a big uh, big thing at the time. Yeah, and reading that bit, it, uh, the, the Star Wars thing overshadowed because I can remember all the adverts for Star Wars because I'd never seen Star Wars in its entirety at that point because hmm. um, I'd only seen a really curtailed bit. So back in, so I must have been quite, I was just at school, maybe a year before, you could get this thing where you could get these little 16 millimeter cine reels 
Yes. Of films. And you've got about 10 minutes of the film in this very chopped up kind of abridged version of films. And so I had a, a birthday party where I think we had Superman. I, that's all I'd seen of Star Wars. And I'd, but I had seen The Empire Strikes Back at the cinema. So I saw The Empire Strikes Back before I saw Star Wars <laughs> fully, um, which was kind of you know, a bit back to front. Um <laughs> So that weekend, yeah, it was a big, you know, and then on the Sunday night, I remember sitting down and watching um, Star Wars for the for the first time. So yeah, quite a big complete. weekend for sci-fi and things that would form your your future uh, likes, your future interests. It was, yeah, it was a big weekend for that. Um, it was a big weekend. So to give a bit of uh, background and outline of the story for X-Bomber, um, in the year 2999, the solar system has just seen the end of Space Wars 3. And a space cruiser from the Thalian zone comes into uh, Earth's uh, Earth sphere to destroy Earth and find the F-01 and prevent the year 3000 from basically happening, which would affect Demon Lord Gelmer's like empire, basically. So as they attack, then basically Earth has kind of been preparing for this. And the Earth Defence Force launches X-Bomber um, with Dr. Ben and three pilots. And they go and then get into this fight to prevent Gelmer and his um, commander, Bloody Mary, and Lieutenant Koslow from getting uh, the F-01, which is a, a character called Lamia. And that's basically the story. And it's this ongoing it's ongoing battle. So um, I think we'll probably kind of just start with like just our kind of thoughts about it. And uh, yeah, so take the floor. So Lewis, I'm, let's start with you because, like, I am like, like I say, I've got proper rose tints for, for right, yeah. Starfleet and X Bomber. So you know, I was very interested to get your uh, your take on it. Well, I found I found it like the the uh, the English episodes that I watched. Um, I found them very it's, it it soured the whole experience in a way. Mostly because, like, it just felt like, um, the, the in fairness though, the episodes I did watch were the ones that weren't too visually stunning because the the like I there's a lot to be said about like how intricate and the detail they go into to get some of the shots mm. and the, you know yeah. the, the, the yeah. technicality that's like considering considering how practical they had to be mm. to get some of the shots blow up the models that they would have spent ages like building and crafting, you know, how many times could they have gotten that shot or tried to get that shot? Um, so like all the, the, all of the set pieces and the moving parts of this like puppet show, you forget sometimes when you're watching the space scenes that it's puppets, but you're also politely yeah. kind of like clumsily reminded about it because, you know, mm. where they've cut corners elsewhere, they've like made up for in pyrotechnics and cool effects and all this other stuff that's going on. Um, but in the English dub, it, it comes, it's, it's like, you can tell, like, they're all in this, like, they're sat in this smoky recording booth, like, all the actors are in the same room, and they're all just reading the lines in front of each other, and you can hear them in the first episode sometimes laugh, like, laugh on their lines. I think it's when they're just getting on to the ship for the first time, doing, like, meeting, um, Dr. Ben. Um, and they're like introducing themselves and the guy just like laughs over his line and then, and then you're like and he, they cut him off and he goes to the next person he goes wait well it's good to have you here and then, and then you're like it's almost it's, it's, it's amateur so so amateur but I do know that a lot of the um, 
a lot of the voice actors actually went on to, uh, and the person who adapted it went on to make quite a lot of like well-known stuff. So I was like, oh, well, you know, everyone's got to start somewhere. Yeah, but I think got... Roast Tinted Goggles are perfectly fine lens to have because this is a masterpiece. <laughs> and the English dub just makes it even funnier. Like the, the, the Japanese one is like you take it seriously and then you yeah. laugh at the like the, the awkward pieces because like the voice acting is like on point. They know exactly what the calm context and exactly the story they wanted to portray. Um, yeah. And you lose that when you go over to the, the English dub. But like, then there's obviously those like, like candid moments where the, there's meant to be this flourish of tenderness going on. It's just two puppets staring cold into each other's <laughs> dead eyes. <laughs> and, you're like, and that's when you're like, <laughs> this is stupid. But, you know, those, those moments happen far more often in the English dub because it's like, well, maybe tape was expensive and they had to just all sit in the room and, and do the reading and just get the best recording they could. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, because for me, one of the big things on this, so I was a big fan of the, the whole um, Jerry Anderson puppet show. So, mm. um, like, I really like Stingray, especially. I was a massive, massive fan of Stingray. Um, you know, I quite like Thunderbirds and some, you know, some of the other ones, and you know, Captain Scarlet and, and all the rest of it. You know, I was always quite a big fan. So when this came on, I was like, was really into it. But what really struck me from that very, very first episode was just that there was this sense of peril mm. in there, like sense of threat and these kind of really kind of almost quite scary looking characters. Cause yeah. you know, the, like the, you know, the bug soldiers and mm. you know, all the main characters have this like sentient symbiote over one eye. And it was just, you know, there was a, just a whole sense of grotesque about it. Definitely. Um, and then the first episode ends on this like massive cliffhanger, mm. which like just didn't happen because like the Jerry Anderson stuff didn't, tended to be very episodic. Yeah, it was, just yeah. one episode, you know, just one episode didn't roll into the other. Whereas this didn't. It was like, oh, what you know, the, that first episode ends, and it's like, what happens next? You know, and then um, you're met with a killer soundtrack. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Whichever version you watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah although yeah we'll come on to the music a bit later but yeah but you know and then all the way through the series there was this constant threat um Absolutely. and it was just like unlike anything i'd i'd seen before mm-hmm. um you know like major characters dying things getting blown up this bit where they put this assassin on board the ship you know they storm the ship i mean it was just it was just so unlike anything else it was I mean, sort of like really, western Children's TV, yeah. wasn't it? At the uh, at the end of the day, we've talked about this on Retro Mega Podcast, and you have on both on Retro Anime Podcast as well as that. These there's a huge difference between what was acceptable on yeah. Japanese TV, and they they cut surprisingly little out of out of Starfleet actually. Yeah, uh, they they cut or should I say they cut surprisingly little out of X Bomber for Starfleet. Yeah, um, and so even in Starfleet, that dark sort of tone. Mm. Remains. Mm. I mean, like you said, the um, the enemy, like you know, they're they're sort of organic, but have cybernetic kind of enhancements yeah. and things. And the Galma soldiers, which are like you said, really like sort of bug like, they're later to re- later revealed to be living, even though they have like sort of metal kind yeah. of exteriors and things. And, yeah. And there's a there's a sort of key plotline which we'll talk about later, where one of the um, the the mentor of the main of the main characters. Is basically uh, sort of mind controlled with this um, device, right? That yeah. sort of turns yeah. him, turns him evil. 
And so, so there was all, like you say, there was all these sinister sort of dark yeah. aspects of it. The fact that characters could die, the fact that, you know, it did have this sort of dark look to it. And we just, I don't think we were quite used to seeing that in no. Western uh, no. children's TV at the time. And so that really made an impact to me, mm. um, even as a child watching Starfleet and not perhaps fully getting all of it at about four or five. Um, yeah. But certainly when you watch X-Bomber, you realize just just how dark some of it does get. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. pretty intense, actually. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. uh, perspective because I remember, you know, if I was to go back to my childhood, that wouldn't be a perspective I took because getting picked up by my older sister, um, I wouldn't watch cartoons. I'd watch her shows, right? <laughs> and it would be like Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. So, mm. you know, I was pretty used to like pretty desensitized from an early age. It was that in South Park. So I was watching like, you know, the same kid getting <laughs> run over by a car every week. Uh, <laughs> so, so that, but no, I, I get what you're saying. Cause like thinking back yeah. to Thunderbirds, it's like, you know, they always win. Mm. There's yeah. never any like existential and like, threat. It's and just like you said, it's wrapped up at the end of the episode. Yeah. It's entirely, yeah. you know, in National Rescue, rescue somebody, some defiler, defiler plots. You know, yeah, Stingray saves the day, that sort of thing, and yeah, and we uh, so we weren't kind of used to saying that. But interesting, you bring up Buffy because Buffy kind of pushed the envelope a lot for for sort of uh, even even yeah, at the definitely. time for what yeah, was kind what of was some pretty. Yeah. So it got with some pretty gory, yeah, and sort of and, yeah. and also uh, quite especially sort of, for the time of day that it was on. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think they actually censored it on BBC, but anyway, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> So yeah, it had this, and because of course, like you've got the like next episode preview with the narrator going, what's happened with mm. the, the you know the, the sort of jazzy actiony music, and he was mm. like, oh, so what's oh, so I've got to wait another week now to see all this stuff that's <laughs> happening in the next episode. You know, it was um, it was murder really. So it, it kind of builds up, and you've got this kind of constant back and forth, um, and it was like really interesting to see the heroes like taking such a pounding. Mm-hmm. And like things not going right. like right for them, and you, you'd have episodes where from the very like, beginning like, it doesn't go right for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, um, X Bomber gets shot down in like episode one as soon as it launches, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, and then there's this bit like in episodes, I think it's like four and five where they get drawn into this like the void, and it's like this dead space area, and it's like really quite existential. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, it's really quite terrifying that they're they're stuck and. They can't get out, and they're doomed. Is um, that the same one with the spaceship graveyard, or is it a different? That's it, the spaceship graveyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that mm. where they see the, um, the skull uh, ship for the first time? Or uh, no, that oh, comes a few episodes later, I think. Yeah, but um, but I'll come on to that as well because that was an interesting point. So they're in the, the yeah they're in the the spaceship graveyard, and it doesn't just get wrapped up in one episode; it goes over a couple of episodes. So yeah, it's you know it's not like as you said, Craig, where previously in the Jerry Anderson stuff, everything got nicely tied up within that episode. Suddenly you had these things dragging on and, you know, they were in peril and danger and they they were on the losing side and, and having trouble and stuff over multiple episodes, um, which was just really, really unseen. But things like Captain Halley and the skull ship, you know, and it just kind of appearing... Like, you just didn't see stuff like that before. Mm. These, mm. you know, and something to you allude to, all these kind of subplots that yeah. ran through the whole show. Absolutely, because there's a lot of mystery and intrigue from the very beginning. Because mm. we, yeah. we haven't sort of uh, talked uh, too much about some of the main characters, but Shiro and, um, and yeah, Bongo Shiro. Uh, and also um, yeah. Lamia, like, uh, you know, and Dr. Ben, 
all the sort of central protagonists, Bigman Lee as well, are they they all they're all drawn at the central mystery about what is the F zero one. Yeah. Because yeah. the the enemy want the F zero one, but we they don't have any idea what it is. Couple of episodes in, Lamia thinks that she might be actually be the F zero one because of her mysterious past. Yeah. But um, you know, you have the central mystery first of all about what the F zero one is, why yeah. the enemy want it, whether it's a sort of weapon or what what exactly its nature is, and then you have the mystery about um, the skull ship as well. So it starts off really strong with all these big questions. Yeah, yeah. Then the skull ship gets weaponized by the guys, uh, and that, that 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 yeah, that'll loop back into the parasite thing. But that that idea of like someone who is like a fervent supporter of like mankind can become a servant to this new order or something. Yeah, it's like yeah, quite. I'd imagine quite unique for the time as well. Because the thing is, it does play out a lot like a super robot show in uh, kind of puppets in in some of the way. So the X bomber, the main ship, with has like X shaped wings on it, which is why. And on on it, it has these three sub vehicles, um, yeah. which then form together to create the DX, which is a, a big robot, which is basically a go to guy mm. super robot. Yeah, very much. Um, so, yeah. Essentially, um, so it has that kind of and some of that kind of subplotting that you would see a bit in sort of later super robot stuff um mm. especially you know it was like you know you really really saw it here mm-hmm. you know the whole combination sequence of diex as well and you actually kind of had that mechanical interaction you saw the parts actually link mm. and rotate and like that you know it was kind of really um you know it had that really mechanical feel to it um, yeah definitely as well. it's, it's there's a lot of um They've thought about the practicality of it a lot, a lot like the uh, later seventy yeah. Super Robot shows when they start to get a bit more, when they start to get a bit more technical. Because we mentioned, um, yeah. we mentioned previously on Retro Mega Podcast that some of the early Super Robot shows, especially things like uh, Get a Robo, things just kind of smack together almost like Lego, yeah. and kind of, you know, then they sort of magically <laughs> switch shape. Whereas later in the seventies, they started to show things like you know the docking mechanisms and things interlocking and yeah. you know armor folding round and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, inspired by the space race and the docking of like yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. The, the, you get into the nitty gritty of that with this. You see, you know, like sort of mechanisms turning and locking into place and all that sort of things, and it, it's done really well. Mm. There's a lot of uh, labor of love went into to that, and um, you can really see the sort of uh, how can I put it the kind of Itaku sort of obsession of, of that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. That really, I think that um, shines through quite well on like episode eight when they're having that battle for the palace. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, you've got the you've got the moving like lava. Um, that's kind of like like the, 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 all the practical effects that are going on just inside that one like scene. Like there's like yeah magma flowing through. There's shots mm. going off, explosions going off, and like parts yeah, of yeah. falling into the water and the splashes mm, yeah. are coming out. So it's like. Damn, they really, they really didn't like slow down for this. Definitely not. No. I, I also liked the blend of like you know because I I would have been more familiar with the uh, the upright like kind of costume man in a costume mecha suit stood over mm. a, a miniature <laughs> valley that you'd get from Power Rangers. But like you know they do it really cleverly. The consistency and the art style and the the framing it's it's all and the scale just feels right. Mm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, because quite interestingly, you know, like with a lot of the super robot stuff, they take four episodes to actually reveal Diex mm. as well. Um, so, it, you know, the whole thing is just 
like so well paced and builds up really, really well. Yeah, because um, although it has, although it has um, you know some of the conventions of a super robot show, it doesn't follow that super robot formula of like villain of the week. You know, you've got no, 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 it doesn't. You know, no. Galma don't send like you know loads of different sort of crafts at them. It's it's Bloody Mary and Keslo and the little lieutenant uh, soldiers are the sort of main protagonists all the time. Yeah, and we see Demon King Galma sort of contacting them, telling them their plans. So we don't have that sort of, you know, that structure of a super robot show, but all the ideas of, you know, like are in there as well. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot less, it's a lot less generic than than some of the sort of early super robot stuff where you can kind of see the formula of it. Yeah, absolutely spot on because it is just a single continuous narrative, um, mm. which was, and I say that was what was just so different at the time. It just didn't see like all the cartoons tended to just be one off you know, mm. episodic stuff. Typically, most of the, the, the puppet shows were were all self-contained stories. Um, yeah. And th- this, was just, this was just completely different. Mm. Um, and then, like, really, like, then from, like, episode 16, like, it just kind of just got really, really intense. Yeah, it does. Um, it goes, like, full you know, tilt, just, like, like, about yeah. halfway through, doesn't it? Like, there's just no let-up whatsoever. Um, yeah, that last, like, third of the, the series is just really, really... Um, full on and just pull out all the stops yeah you know it's um yeah it's uh it's absolutely mad um that that last bit um up until this point it's been kind of mega with like the back and forth the ongoing Mm. the battles um you know there's like one of the episodes that always like really really well it like sticks in my mind there's a couple but that one where they're on the planet and the the plant grows around the yes yeah yeah. when they land like trying to uh, when they discover that it's a hollow, yeah, yeah, you know, and like from that, you know, there's, so there's all been this stuff, you know, like you said, with like the, the the graveyard, space graveyard, and there's all this, and then somehow it manages to just ratchet it up mm. <laughs> another level, and then that that last like third is just absolutely, it, it's just so intense because then you get characters like. Ghidorah, Doctor Ghidorah, come in, mm. who's this like kind of mad scientist, He's sort of cyborg. Um, yeah. Psychopath, oh, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he's um ma- you know, mad evil genius TM um <laughs> sort of thing, isn't he? Yeah. Um and that kind of scales it up again and they so so they're all trying to get to this planet of M planet M thirteen to you know, to get to this thing before the dawn of the, the year three thousand. Um you know, and like Lamia gets kidnapped and hmm. you know, all that whole bit um, but that episode there, like episode 19, where um, Ghidorah's introduced, I can always remember that's where he comes up with this assassin to to mm. basically try and kill Lamia, um, which was like terrifying in its own. But they go aboard this spaceship, they get lured mm-hmm. to go and check out this like SOS. And even that, it's, it's kind of got echoes of Alien about Definitely, it. yeah. Mm. You know, um, and it's like, it's just, I can remember, I can remember that bit, like, you know, because you want to kind of go, it's behind you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, it is tense. Just, it really is a tense. It is episode. like really, really, yeah. It really, really is a tense episode, and then it just, and like, yeah, it just like keeps going. And like the other thing as well. So Bloody Mary and Coslo, um, they're right under the cosh from Demon King Gelmer. Mm. They they fail. You know. Oh yeah. They get put yeah, up no, for a. Under- he yeah. just rings up. And he goes like, "Come over here right now! I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you." 
That's right. There's a whole recap episode dedicated to the fact that they go to face execution. Yeah, yeah. And and basically, you get a summary of events so far, which is like a catalogue of their failures. Yeah. <laughs> and they basically have to justify why <laughs> they have to justify yeah. why uh, why they're not going to get killed. He basically tells them, you know, uh, to give us a good reason why, based yeah. on all these failures, and it recounts them all. Why I should that- actually kill you. That's the one where he is that the part where he also emerges from behind, mm-hmm. like just yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, the first yeah. time you kind of see him. That's the first time not you see on him, a, really. not yeah. on a kind of hologram or monitor thing. Yeah, you, you see him actually, like you see how big Rise he is. Up, he's basically yeah. a giant, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, uh, <laughs> literally <laughs> like dwarfing his, his subordinates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it must have been pretty intense. But again, it's all that kind of stuff that you never saw. You know, mm-hmm. it was all yeah. like really, really fresh and like really unique. Because yeah. um, my favourite episode is episode 22 with um, the death machine, Dr. Ghidorah's death machine, you know, the big ball thing with the... Oh, the yeah, the thing when that's he got, fights. The, yeah, the, the, where he electrocutes and it turns into yeah, a big yeah. kind of just like upright man in a suit fight. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, that is such... I watched that again the other day in its entirety that episode and it is just such such a good episode yeah and it's got a classic um super robot trope where diex gets electrocuted yeah because mm-hmm. literally in every super robot show yeah. the protagonist mecha gets electrocuted i think we talked about that in the very first episode where we make a podcast there's always yeah. something that has electrical tendl- tendrils yeah. or tentacles <laughs> wrapping it around yeah. the robot and the scene where it's like oh <laughs> getting shot yeah, yeah. Going back to what you said about the uh, the episode with the um, assassin, the sort of a uh, suicide bomber, I really love the way that actually like humanizes the Gelma soldiers because mm. of the fact that we actually find out that these little sort of robotic henchmen or cyborgs they are, but but um, we find out that like he's got a family and they forced them yeah, to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if they don't, if yeah. he doesn't do it, then they're going to kill his family. And it's <laughs> yeah. like that is just something that was like. Wow, like oh, God. Just, just mind blowing. Yeah, isn't it? you know, you, to... you you sort of they're presented as these kind of grunts, you know, like the the, the pilot the ships that get blown up all the time. Yeah. They're always getting berated by uh, Bloody Mary and Coslo. But I can't think of another show which kind of you know made the sort of grunt kind of no. characters like that. It made them kind of more human. <laughs> yeah, in a sort of yeah. quite devastating way. I think that's quite fascinating, actually. And they had a, they had a good they had good ways of like challenge, challenging how you kind of. Um, I guess felt about the protagonists, especially mm. Shiro. Um, yeah, and they're like, oh, "Was that was was the?" I'm trying to remember which episode it was where they land on that planet, um, and Lamia's just like, "Oh, look at these cute little creatures!" And they're like, yes. yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, <laughs> "Oh, I wonder what they are." And they are quite clearly the same species of the monster that's to her left. <laughs> and then, and then she goes and follows them. And then Shira comes out, sees how cute and fluffy they are, and just starts blasting them. <laughs> yeah, that's and he's just like you can never be too sure. That's right, because she sort of berates him, you know, and he's and he yeah. he sort of takes a step back, and he's like, well, you know, the he sort of justifies his kind of actions, and yeah, the end of the situation where where they've got to kill lots of them to escape. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so funny. It's so funny because you're like, oh wow. Because typically you'd be like, all right, I guess that's just you know the a, a, a weak stab at kind of the protagonist's morals and you know meant to kind of challenge his ideals and mm-hmm. you know better him as a protagonist going forward. 
But no, he gets immediately reinforced by the fact that he's now got to go and massacre these gr- this group of fluffy little animals that's that right, are sitting on the landing gears. They, that's right, because they're on the landing gears and they need to take off, don't they? Yeah, and he's yeah, just like, right, yeah. oh, and just massacres them without even blinking. It's like The guy doesn't even finish his head, he goes, you're going to have to get rid of it, and he's gone, he's doing it. He doesn't even blink. Lamia's words, in one ear, out the other, sailed through. Because yeah. Gelma count on the fact that um, you know humans are sort of more emotional and that they'll they'll sort of yeah. they'll, they'll not be able to do it, but but it's Chiro can. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah, sure, yeah, a monster. <laughs> yeah, because don't they um, justify it by saying, "Oh well, um, uh, Bloody Mary's attack would have killed them all anyway." So yeah, I think Doctor Ben goes on to say something about how you know basically. In the bigger scheme of things, their sacrifice is going to be, you know, there's yeah, there's going yeah, to be a lot of sacrifices right. made in this war, and they're just sort of one of them. Yeah, they're they're, they're just collateral damage, aren't they? Yeah. Um. <laughs> and that's that's what they mean yeah. at the very end when it's like, is the universe truly safe? <laughs> those <laughs> things, those things that ended up being calamity collateral, they're going to become I think, sentient. I think they're about... called the I think they're called the Monmen. The Monmen, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Monmen are going to become sentient and rise up. (laughs) You feel they're rough. But there's um, there's other bits as well. It's like um, so in the first episode um, when uh, Pluto base gets attacked um, and Captain Custer. Don't want to give too many spoilers away here, but you think he's dead, but he comes back and he's been, you know, he's got like the the uh, sentient symbiote like attachment and you know kind of been brainwashed Mm. uh, and stuff you know and it's things like that you know seeing him come back and like the the resolution of of that as well it's even darker that's an intense episode yeah yeah Yeah, very much you're like oh that's pretty messed up and then it's like oh that's pretty messed up (laughs) (laughs) no when the episode ends you're like that's really messed up yeah it just does escalate um you know you're used to the sort like you know you by the, I think it's maybe like something like the thirteenth episode, um, something like that, where um, where there's there's this really sort of intense scene with Custer being mind controlled. But um, mm. you're used to the sort of peril of the show by then. But what it, the way it actually, the way that whole scene unfolds with Shiro sort of um, yeah. versus Custer is very, very intense, and it just keeps on escalating. Yeah, and uh, you see, we don't want to give too many spoilers away, but. Damn, the ending yeah. of that episode is really like. Yeah, quite... I know. Can imagine there's some kids with their heads in the hands and that head. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole like body horror element to it. There is, yeah, as well. Yeah, you know, like him being converted and having this, you know, the uh, the symbiote. Yeah, you like, actually see him get attached. getting kind of attached on you. There's like a mind yeah. probe that fires yeah. a beam into his brain, brain, and he's like screaming in agony. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's just all of that, and it's just. You know, it's just yeah. It's just like it was just cosmic horror. Like, just keep, kind of... Yeah, it just like reinforces just how different this was. Yeah, from, like forty years ago. It's iconic on um, the design front as well with the organic. Yeah, um, they, they they weave that idea of like organic um, ships and cybernetic ships, mm. and that extends into even the um, you know the gyro rollerball design that electrocutes um, the X. Gundam. <laughs> I forget the name of the thing. <laughs> Diex. Uh, that's it. Diex. Uh, Diex. Um, when it gets electrocuted, you know if they've got this kind of like this beetle-like carapace that f- forms the mm. 
um, yeah. the webbing of the the view portal. Um, yeah, or like it's like kind of a monocle that then it cuts in and it mirrors the monocle on his eye. Um, yeah, and it's you know it, like all the staging and like set piece design is mwah, flawless. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, a nice segue maybe into talking about some of, like, the shit designer stuff mm. because that was, like, you know, we kind of talked about that kind of really kind of grotesque kind of look of everything. So the whole, like, carrier ships with the claws and everything, like, sort of bug, you know, bug-like. Mm. Yeah, um, trying to buy it. it was, very, yeah. Yeah. It was just really, really unique. Mm. Um, when Custer know, gets converted, he has a sort of mechanical claw replacing one of his arms yeah. as well, doesn't he? Yeah, and, yeah. And there's there's a key scene where he realizes kind of what he's become, and he's really horrified by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, kind of disgusted by his own kind of conversion. Yeah, it's yeah. That's what I mean. It yeah. plays, yeah, it plays into that whole body horror. Um, you see, thing, like that, yeah. the, obviously, because of like modern day gaming, that's nothing to me. I remember that, but I do remember what uh, a feeling of what that could equate like, and that would be playing Gears of War. Um, for the first time, because there's a there's a moment in that where you um, recover one of your uh, comrades who are essentially yes. like all of you guys are like ultramarines. So um, I know what you, you mean, like, having having played through the series, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that moment is like kind of like that kind of that body mm. horror esque moment where you're like that this man's lost it. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a bit of, yeah. bit of Cronenberg in there. I don't know if, how familiar. Um, yeah. I know, I know Ian. You, I know you've you've uh, sort of seen some of Cronenberg's works, and he certainly was a big sort of proponent in like the kind of body horror stuff in in America. Yeah, and, yeah. There's mm. definitely some of that sort of creeping in there. Maybe a bit of a uh, kind of Geiger esque stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, very much so. There's like symbiote yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, but the whole, like the whole design of it all, um, it's just, it's really creative, mm. you know, it's really different. And I think even, I think looking back like now at like all the stuff that came through the seventies in like Super Robot, I think actually it was quite unique and different to what even came before in, in the anime world, mm. to be honest. I think there's definitely some Super Sentai, I think. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm a, I, I know a lot about Kamen Rider or anything, but from what I've seen about it, I think there's there's maybe little bits because some of them kind of pick up on the the bug aspect. Definitely, um, yeah, because slightly... the bad guys shocker are like a sort of organization that turns people into cyborgs as well. So there's yeah. a, there's a sort of bug there's a bug aspect to the you know the hero costumes, but then there's also the aspect of people being turned into machines against their will, and yeah, and yeah. there's definitely a sort of grotesque element there that creeps in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, I think that uniqueness that X Bomber weaves is that is that that's, while they've got all these subplots going on, it, it takes the strengths that Star Wars had, which is it creates a universe mm-hmm. and a consistent a consistent yeah, yeah. universe that you're interested yeah, in, yeah. with consequences yeah. that are like not necessarily yeah. tied to who you're presented to be your main protagonists. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's those it's those moments where you're like, oh, this is actually a, like these guys might not be. You know, confronting them with like the the oblivion that is in the first episode that the X Bomber goes down is like, like okay, well, you know, actually, are these guys actually going to struggle through this? Like, you know, there's like, yeah. there's more at play here than just these guys yeah. in one mm. machine. Yeah, you're constantly reminded of the threat, the overall threat to Earth. Mm. You know, they yeah. you 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 constantly reminded of the stakes. It's not just these yeah. sort of this ragtag group of heroes we're worried about. We're worried about the whole Earth and. It does do a very good job of presenting that bigger picture. You know, we 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 see Pluto base get essentially 
annihilated at the beginning. Annihilated, yeah. And then, um, you know, Earth's mm. at risk. I mean, in an early episode, they give, like, I think they give something like, uh, Galma gives something like a day for them to hand over F-Zero One. And there's all these big ultimatums and things that happen throughout the yeah. series where, you and know, there's, there's a huge... measures of distance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it does, it's always reminding you of what's at stake in in sort of quite scary ways. And you you mentioned that episode where the ship gets like sort of uh, infiltrated and you see all these soldiers like storming the X-Bomber and it's just, um, there's just this real sense of scale to it all. Yeah, exactly. It's that, it's that design and care. Um, I think it's for those scenes where they're loading into uh, die X and the, the practicality of having that like shot down a hallway where they're getting like ferried along on this, uh, you know, uh, robotic platform towards their their cockpits, yeah, and yeah, the interiors yeah. are done, and like all the, yeah. the details put into that, and like yeah. even get, just get, having a camera that can get into a position like that, building the set around it, and having the shot like yeah. can neatly, uh, like the because there's and there's a lot of shots like that, like uh, yeah. when it looks up at the inner workings of the space cannon, or um, yeah, you know, the, yeah. The, the intricacy and the, the the detail isn't lost, and they took, I think that's what sets it apart from like other things of its genre is the is the the setting detail that's gone into it. Yeah, Definitely. there is there is an incredible amount of detail in all the sets and 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 there was a point I was gonna pick up that you know that, that you said there. Like some of the camera angles, mm. especially like the ships flying and especially between like X Bomber and the um Bloody Mary's main mothership mm. um when they're especially when they're facing off there is some incredible mm. panning shots yeah. of them like flying past each other and stuff it's yeah. like it's absolutely yeah. incredible it gives a brings a really dynamic feel to the action they took yeah. full advantage yeah. of of the the fact that they they knew their practical effects budget was going to have to be you know yeah what it is i mean com- comparing it to some american science fiction shows of like you know like the 70s and and beyond it's amazing how little is actually reused. I mean, you do see reused shots. You yeah. do see some shots of ships yeah. attacking each other and things, yeah, some model yeah. shots that are reused. But like, you look at something like Battlestar Galactica or you know, or Star Trek or something. There's so much reuse in that in comparison to yeah. something like this. Yeah. I mean, I think mm. Battlestar Galactica. There's there's probably about like five shots in every episode or something that were reused. <laughs> um, I mean, that was that. I mean, that was the it's quite a different, uh, it's like sort of compared eggs and oranges in some ways, yeah. I suppose, but yeah, yeah. they're just blowing up their models in this. <laughs> <laughs> great. Make it, make it explode bigger. But there's not a great deal oh. of reuse considering no. the amount of like, you know, and like you say, they ended up destroying a lot of things, you know, and the, it was like, right, we've got to do this right. Cause we want to get one shot. Cause essentially we're destroying the, the, yeah. the models. Yeah, literally like when, um, fire. Like that episode, like twenty uh, twenty two, where um, the death machine, death machine faced off against Diex, and you see M thirteen, the pallet and that getting blown to smithereens as Bloody Mary's attacking, hmm. um, you know, the thing, and it's like all being blown up, and like some of this must have been like an absolute health and safety nightmare. Yeah. Some of these, like some of them, are really big explosions. Yeah, yeah they really are. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if the... um, some of the puppets were actually eventually destroyed, considering the sort of horrible fates of some of the characters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but one thing I will say is that one character has a really spectacular death where they actually get punched by Diex. Yeah. <laughs> and they essentially just get obliterated by his giant fist. <laughs> <By> his fist. <laughs> yeah. 
I just, and, oh my god! And I just wonder if the puppet actually survived that because it looks pretty. Uh... <laughs> See, this that that's the that's the main thing that got me was that that there's that there's such a stark difference, um, because when you when you when you watch it with the English dub, mm. it's the the voice track does not fit the action on screen. Mm. And then, and yeah. then you're like, well, it, that, that this main thing that sets it apart between the difference of like it feeling like, oh, okay, this is definitely handcrafted with love mm-hmm. uh, by people who want to like progress yeah. and like do experiment experiment in this genre versus it's just a couple of guys who are doing their engineering degrees at college making a, a couple <laughs> episodes for a laugh, <laughs> and then like going, well, we don't have a budget for voice actors. <laughs> See, that's why I'm glad we've got you on board on this episode because it's quite interesting. You have the point of view of having worked in the in the voice acting field, so yeah. But I, of... I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to discredit the voice work of this per se because I think it's actually genius, and I, I love it because it's got this kind of improvisational uh, feel. And it, it, like, as observationally, I'm not like there when I'm watching it. I'm not because mm. the the dissonance now between like media that I do get engrossed in versus you know watching a puppet show is I'm I'm now watching it from the lens of like oh man I like that. the facets of this we were looking at like miniature photography <laughs> like yeah, we were looking yeah, at like yeah. model craft uh yeah. cinematography lighting consistency full body suits you know and then like <laughs> you've got like so if you look at it through that lens and you're like wow the facets that create this piece of work to the standard that it's at and then like you can then imagine in your head a bunch of english people going right we've got to dub this over but we haven't got much we've not we've not got much audio tape so we're just gonna like do the reading in this room (laughs) the mic's gonna be in the middle of the room and all of you you've all got the script for episode one in front of you i know you haven't learned your lines just just read (laughs) yeah just read and I, i i plead with you imagine that scenario in like this very like yellowed out, <laughs> dusty room <laughs> of a recording studio somewhere in California, and I want you to imagine that and rewatch episode one in the in the English dub, and you'll love it even more. It will feel like it will feel like the the, the pilot episode to Team America. <laughs> I'm definitely going to do that. Yeah. Because uh, the thing is, so talking about the difference in the dubbing, because I only knew Starfleet for so long mm. until the Scarry Hunters Society put out those those two episodes, and then finally got to see the whole mm. the whole thing. The thing with Starfleet is, I think the music in it is like really, really iconic. Mm. Yeah, because basically they the sound and audio and effects track that Lay Productions got. Mm was absolutely useless so they had to re-record everything mm. and i actually think they did a really really good job of, with starfleet because yeah. like the opening theme and the end theme are like just they're like, actually really good absolutely they're really really catchy. good and yeah mm. and i actually really like how starfleet put in where the eye catches um like in the middle of the show they put the starfleet this little bit of music mm. and i think that actually works really well and there's uh, another thing they did was that when when uh, bloody mary's mothership comes in there's this or when anything kind of gelma related comes in there's this like sound effect mm. like really kind of doomy little signature hook yeah um that plays and i just think all that stuff actually works really really well in mm. starfleet 
I prefer it the way like the, the, the voices and everything are done in Japanese. Mm. I think that fundamentally works really well. The music's really good and the effects are good, but I, I, I still think Starfleet still does a really, really good job of mm. effects and music oh, and, and stuff as well. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, sometimes people argue that it can be hard to separate your nostalgia you know, for what makes yeah. it a good show, but I don't always agree with that. I think that, you know, as an adult, you can kind of separate your nostalgia and your, yeah. and your, your love for something and still sort of think, and still say, yeah, I still think that thing still holds up. And I can honestly yeah. say, you know, with both versions, I sort of feel that way. Although I never saw X-Bomber at the time, I imagine that if I had been sort of exposed to it, it'd still be the same for that. But, yeah. but certainly I can... You know, I look back at a lot of old cartoons I used to love, and although I see the flaws a lot more as an adult, I still love them. And yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think I can do that in a sort of critical mindset where I separate myself from the kind of rose-tinted glasses mm. he like and still say there's a lot of stuff of value here that I, that I enjoy. Mm. Yeah, and the music as well um, of Starfleet was so good that Brian May actually released a, a mini-album mm. with music based on the end theme of it um you know that's how uh yeah that's how good it was really <laughs> yeah. brian may of queen released a starfleet album it's great it is mad it's yeah. no it's no i'm a fighter in a world of galaxy though oh yes indeed <laughs> yeah that's, yeah there's that's um iconic it's... lyrics yeah 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 it's a great one that yeah definitely so we should um, mention also it was the, it was the, the in, in japanese it was a rock group called bow wow yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they renamed to Vow Wow. Really, I was aware disbanding. of that. They, yeah, they renamed. I, I looked them up because I, 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 after hearing "I'm a Fighter in World of Galaxy," I was like, "These guys, they must be legends." So I looked them up, <laughs> Bow Wow, and they apparently uh, moved to London, right? Changed to Vow Wow, and then oh, disbanded in 1990. Right. So, so was there okay. a conflict? With Bow Wow, because there was a there was another band called Bow Wow, or did they just decide to change the name? I think they just decided to keep it fresh and like you know approach yeah. the scene. I don't understand why they decided to do it. I think they lost a band member, uh, but uh, yeah, that Bow Wow, interesting, that. 1990. I, never, I didn't actually, to be honest, I didn't actually research Bow Wow much, but I do I do like their uh, the themes that they that they did for X Bomber definitely. Yeah, let me see. I think yeah. I've got the, the note on this thing here. Uh, their final album, album Mountaintop, Vow Wow disbanded after May 28th, 1990. Wow. A concert That's at sweet. Nippon uh, Budokan. Yeah, Budokan. Um, yeah. Interesting. Going back to some of the, like, the, the design stuff as well, it's like, I actually, because I often talk about, like, the, you know, Star Avengers got me onto, mm. like, sort of robot anime yeah. and I saw it in 80, summer of 83 but actually really I often like forget actually how much of an effect mm. like Die X had in yeah. on that because that period so this would have ended kind of like spring like Easter time um, 1983 and then that summer is when I saw Starvengers so mm. really um, Starfleet and Die X like really laid the groundwork for actually getting into that robot mm. thing and then when I saw the, that animated bit um and also, because I really, really like the skull ship, yeah. you know, that, because like the Japanese, and I think that's, yeah. again, like watching it again this week, especially, um, 
it's like I think it's probably why I like Odin so much because mm. like one of the things I really like I love like the starlight mm-hmm. yeah. in it. You know the Japanese do like their sailing space sailing ships definitely yeah. um, don't they? And uh, yeah, I There's definitely a bit think, of that with Harlock as well. Think, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they really like it. So I, I definitely think this again kind of laid the groundwork why I liked you know when yeah. Odin came out ten years later or whatever that I really really liked it when I when I first saw it on VHS. It's it's so, strange, um, isn't it, when you're, as an adult, you look at all these pieces of Japanese media and that you may not have necessarily yeah. been aware of their origin yeah. when you were younger. And so many things come together and it's kind of like, there was, there, was, there was a point like that for me as well that was quite revelatory. A lot of the things that I looked at in cartoons that were actually of Japanese design, things like the Odyssey and Ulysses 31 and mm, stuff like that, yeah. where I'm like, was blown away by it as a kid and I realised it's all sort of down to anime, really. And yeah, Jap- well, yeah, Japanese and... media in general, you know, just they're just Japanese yeah. science fiction. And yeah, it's it's it really is quite a trip when you when all these things align in your brain and you're like, ah, right, that's... Yeah, yeah. the that's critical the insight moment. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you suddenly disappear um, through your own eyes and withdraw through yeah, decades yeah, exactly. and decades of history. Yeah. Almost like that exactly. ratatouille moment where you <laughs> he puts it in his mouth for the first time. Um, yeah, and suddenly you're at one with the name. universe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for all the um, we've you know praised the uh, set design and and characters and everything else because um, all the characters are, are, are incredibly well created. Mm. There are some really peculiar bits in this as well. There is one episode where Shiro and um, Bongo and, and John Lee, uh, they're all laughing. And the puppets have these weird laughing heads. Mm. And it's really, really bizarre. <laughs> Slightly like, disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's they just look bizarre. And then in one of the very last episodes, like episode 23, I think it is, there's a bit where they've got Earth headquarters. Um, they, and in the front row are these three characters whose faces and body proportions are <laughs> absolutely bizarre. <laughs> Like, just really, 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 really odd. Because there's some odd characters. Like, there's one of the um, Halley's guys who's got a really squashed head and yeah. a little tash. I know what you mean, yeah. Like, mm. he's, like, really bizarre looking. But there's this, yeah, the front row of the, you know, the, the admin staff at EF headquarters. And they're just, they're just really bizarre looking characters. It's almost like someone was having a bit of a laugh, <laughs> you know, when they did it. It's just... Funny that it's they're so really, sort really of at the forefront as well. You know, you'd think they'd stick the yeah. the less kind of um, yeah. parts, the less kind of uh, glamorous looking puppets at the back. <laughs> the yeah, ones, the, the um, defective ones. Yeah, the ones that didn't fit the mould. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, oh, he's going to come out very well. Uh, uh, just paint a couple of eyes on it. It's anthropomorphic enough. Um. But, you know, for all the what we've talked about here, um, it was a huge failure in Japan. Mm. And actually got cancelled after 12 episodes. But, you know, would then be a massive success, especially in the UK. It was a really, really, really big success. And Go Nagai had absolutely no idea how successful it was. Like, just, mm. like, had no idea. That's super interesting. Um, I wonder why. And, and yeah, and I, and I guess, we, we you know, we're talking very probably primitive communications, aren't oh. we? And like media didn't travel, you know, like it does like it does today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was so popular in the UK that ITV wanted to commission a second series of it and they wanted to pay for it. 
um because they wanted it to carry on mm. um but unfortunately there was a fire um that had all the props and puppets and stuff and literally just the fire destroyed everything so there was nothing to, to carry on with Whoa, what a legacy um, and like gin productions the guys there were like really upset because they were like oh actually even though it wasn't popular in japan the fact that it was so popular in the west they actually had an avenue to continue it um but it's quite interesting because it's on the dvd and sets and the blu-ray sets there's like productions and there's interviews with um jerry anderson when he's and he's talking about like the differences between rod puppets um which are used in in starfleet and, and x-bomber compared to like the string puppets that a lot of um jerry anderson shows were doing mm. and there's this kind of this almost begrudging like admiration mm. for x-bomber and starfleet you know it's kind of like ah damn because he says like it came out why they were in production for Terror Hawks, mm. right? And, and and Terror Hawks would kind of have a bit more of a continuous story. Yes, it did. I, it. I loved Terror Hawks as a kid. I used to watch that. Yeah, it was like I loved, and you know, and it was a bit, you know, the um, Zelda and her two grotesque children mm. and stuff. You know, there was more peril in it. It was less episodic. Um, you know, had these grotesque characters and and all the rest of it, uh, much like what. I think you can almost sense this sort of annoyance that Starfleet came first. Yeah, you know. I wonder if there's even a little bit of a Japanese influence on Terex. There's some Japanese characters yeah, in it. Like, yeah. And there's also an episode with a samurai villain as well. Yeah. Stuff like that. So I wonder if Anderson maybe sort of took some of that in the back of his mind and decided to sort of put a little yeah. margin, maybe. Yeah, I can't believe that actually some of what happened in, uh, X, in Starfleet didn't Inference Terrorhawks because Terrorhawks took the slot in night. Well, when did it come out? 83? I think so. Late 83, something like that. You know, it took the slot that Starfleet was in after the, you know, the whatever the show that used to run, you know, through the Saturday morning. Mm. Um, because you used to have the early the Wide Awake Club, something like that, which ran from Wide Awake Club. Oh, Wackadoo, yeah, which ran up until, (laughs) yeah, and then and that used to run up until about eight o'clock or nine o'clock or something like that. And then from nine or half nine to about half 11 or 11 o'clock, there used to be a more grown up kind of show with presenters mm. in there. Um, one of them's names just escaped me. And then you used to have this half hour slot, which like Terror Hawks would go in that would run up to lunchtime sort of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, I can't believe Terror Hawks didn't, there, there wasn't an influence of, ex-bomber in in terror hawks um but yeah it's interesting looking at jerry adams because he's he's talking about the pros and cons of rods versus strings and he's kind of like well they actually did you know did the rods very very well you know this it's it's just like damn those japanese they you know (laughs) they kind of they bettered me at my own game sort of (laughs) because i didn't um well when did uh did you say 83 did it come out October 82, 82, Starfleet came out, came out. out in the UK. Yeah, because uh, when did Dark Crystal come out? Oh, Dark Crystal. I'm trying to think. That's a good question. That was early 80s. It must be. Yeah, it was early. Yeah, I couldn't tell you exactly. I can't remember if that was after or not. Because that was quite a dark storyline think... with puppets as well. Mm. I like that. Well, funnily enough, you know, great. Uh, yeah, 82 that came out, Dark Crystal. Mm. So. Oh, wow. Um. Yeah, because like I've 
just I'm nearly finished um, Age of Resistance on Netflix, um, which is incredibly dark, mm. but like it's so beautifully crafted. Yeah, um, you know, works we, of art. Um, you know, Craig and I sort of mess, talking on um, about this on, on, on direct message. Um, you know, it's a real shame that like actually it didn't do better than it did or yeah. has had very little fanfare because it's an incredible bit of filmmaking yeah. and really like is. TV making. It's just a, um, it's Age just, of Resistance. It's just too much like barrier to entry because it's, it's very, yeah. it's quite a visceral visual experience. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you're, you have to surrender yourself to more than just like modern standards. You, you, you yeah. really need to kind of just like yeah. look at it as an art piece. It is... Nowadays is definitely, I would say, very abstract viewing, and and a lot yeah. of people would be like, mm, "That doesn't look like yeah, something yeah. I want to spend time with." Yeah, it's a shame. I think there's there is a bit of a barrier to entry. I think you know if something's not, I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of kids and adults are kind of you know, they've got this kind of um, assumption of what media should be. You know, you've mm. if it's not like a sort of CGI laden kind of blockbuster or it's or it's not an animated film that looks like Pixar or something they don't want to know a lot yeah. of the time. Well, I think yeah. I mean, it's obviously that's a, that's a bit of a generalisation there's exceptions and there's always going to be people who seek out older media seek out traditional animation and seek out um, you know things like what we're talking about but I think there is just a sort of that's a bit of a kind of version mm, yeah. with certain people. I think it's a, a rod. You know, I think media? it is. I think it's the rod puppets. I think it's because uh, I, I, if you look at like the, the still popularity of like string puppets and um, the soft movements that come with like uh, you know, uh, yeah. the Muppets um, mm-hmm. and the way they've adapted to become. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen the Muppets TV shows that they've got on like Disney Plus or I think it's Disney Plus or something, or it might be Netflix. Either way, they've got like modern targeted stuff for kids that kids love and they're hilarious for adults as well by the way they are just as good as they've always been mm-hmm. um just modernized um i think there is a certain element of uncanny valley mm-hmm. to um the visceral kind of clunkity clunk you know high frame rate not quite human movements to mm-hmm. these complex um these complex puppets and especially in the style of the dark crystal there is this mm-hmm. almost like there's almost this barrier of like uncanny value to like getting into it because it just doesn't yeah, look yeah. or feel right it mm-hmm. almost feels like it <laughs> almost feels like watching it may give you anxiety and it, 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 because it's just like not a comfortable viewing experience like you know if you sat down and watched maybe the muppets throw themselves around and watch booper and the chef just <clears throat> do their thing <laughs> yeah because dark crystal is like you know it's intense. There's peril. It's brilliant. There's body horror. Yeah. It's you know it has all those elements, and the age of resistance just as it goes on just gets better yeah. and better and better. Um, and it's like it's a real shame because like in every scene there's just you know the whole world is alive. Mm. You know there's just details and stuff. You, you know, really happening. have no... crafted a universe with that show. Yeah, yeah, a lived-in universe, which I think is the yeah. cornerstone of any good me- media. Having that lived-in universe, whether it's a video game, whether it's a TV mm. show, anime, whatever, whatever you know, you need to have yeah, that. You feel believe that, the space. Yeah, yeah you, you, you get a feel that if you if you leave it behind, it's still going on without you, sort of thing. You know. Yeah, and I think you get the same feeling from Starfleet. 
Hmm. Is the yeah you know, with all the subplots and yeah. the context of the greater world and the the, the yeah because they like you said they could have just reused shots all the time, mm-hmm. but like you're you're they put you in the perspective of the characters by looking up at these uh yeah like these big you know things that would have grand scale to them um, yeah and yeah. they they because like, that is one to one the most important thing is the scale um and they and they managed to like blend that through um the costume suits things uh with the miniatures that are around them in that and you don't question it once you're like yeah i'm watching a puppet show but i'm watching a puppet show it might as well be an alter alternate universe you know this is yeah i'm, yeah. I'm invested in this world yeah. i believe the events that are going on here it doesn't feel like someone's holding a string and dangling a like a <laughs> dangling a puppet while someone's like generally punching it from the other side because the, the visual dissonance would be too much um everything's done and done Every, everything that is done is done by something of its same type to another thing. And by that, I mean yeah. like a model damages a model. An explosion is at scale for the the ship. The the you know the shot is at yeah, scale yeah. for the the after effects. The per, if if they're in the suit, they're fighting something of equivocal size. They have yeah. They, yeah, everything yeah. is just yeah. exquisitely presented in that way. And the same with the dark yeah. crystal. There is not a minute where you uh, where you question the scale of things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think X Bomber does create that kind of lived-in world. All the all the set pieces, all the planets. Mm. You know, it's a it's a real, yeah, real solar system. It's a real universe um, where all this stuff happens. Yeah. You know, so. Um, yeah, exactly, and it's like um, the, it's such a delicate balance to get all those aspects right. So it is yeah, like you're yeah. consuming a piece of art for that for that matter. So. One thing I just I do want to touch on, I think, is some of the names because I do think, like, <laughs> you know, Bongo and Hercules. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. I... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Xenophobia yeah, you know, bomber. You... Like the... yeah, <laughs> you know, just like... yeah. Big Man Lee. You know, he's 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 just you know the. Because again, that kind of builds on the whole super robot thing. Because you've got the trio, you've got the cool, dynamic young one. Then you've got the older, kind of more measured one, and then you've always got the fat guy. <laughs> yeah, the fat guy. You know? It's like Pilot Lee um, reporting for duty, sir, and then like yeah. Yeah, Shiro reporting for duty, sir, and then the and then the, like they've got like uh, Hercules just go. What do you need, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, come on, dude. There's a bit. There's yeah. definitely a bit of stereotype in there. I mean. Yeah, Bongo, yeah, of course. It's, Bongo it's is a period black. Piece. He's got an afro, you know. He's yeah. He's yeah, the yeah. he plays guitar, you know. He's the sort of cool one. Yeah. Um. And and um, Big Man Lee is always eating. Yeah. And there's several shots of him through the series, and he's yeah. stuffing his face. It reminds <laughs> me a little bit of um. You know, you you said obviously that you get these archetypes in um in the old shows, things like Get a Robo and stuff like that, and it reminds me of uh, Gatchaman, where Ryu is like always eating, and he's kind of presented to be a bit. Sort of dope, yeah, 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 yeah. When he, when he's actually in a fight, and you know he's in sort of you know situations where he's um called on to be a hero, he's like a badass, but he just comes off as kind of idiotic and sort of obsessed with food. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's it's just such a strange sort of parallel. It's like you know, yeah. If if he's in his civilian life, he's like a goofball who can't stop eating. But as soon as, as soon as he dons that owl costume, he's kicking ass left, right, and centre. You know, yeah, uh, it's such a yeah, trope, exactly. isn't it? You get the same with Trigun. Uh, you get the same with Cowboy Bebop. You know, <laughs> yeah, just those bits in you know those characters in uh, 
lovable goofballs. In, you know, in in Xbox, um, you know those character names in Xbomber. Oh yeah, you know, it's just like it was just such such like. Of its time. Yeah, because then you've got like Dr. Uh, Bob and then Lamia. It's just like, oh, spot the odd one out. Who Guess who's going to be the alien? <laughs> Maybe the one who's been given an alien name for some Dr. reason. Yeah. Or the, the I... Greek goddess who consumed her own children, Lamia. I looked that up, by the way. I was like, well, that's like... That's a Greek goddess oh, name. Oh, really? And, uh, I, and I was like, maybe that carries some sort of prevalence to the story. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. <laughs> um, so the names in this are just names. He's, and like Shiro is the cool one with a silver mm. helmet and his ponytail and, and everything, isn't he? Yeah, you know, he's, he's definitely the sort of got, badass protagonist, yeah. Yeah, I, and, I um, like that. They never, he never, he's also really humble. He never corrects anyone on his name. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, my name's Shiro now. I guess this is my life. Because <laughs> I quite like how, um, like when uh, Captain Halley turns up and you know he gets involved with Lamia and um, and Shiro uh, starts getting uh, like jealous yeah. and stuff. You know, there's all there's all those those that, like it, this, you know, this is what I'm saying. You need to watch episode one with that visual in your head of yeah, you know, just yeah. a bunch of people doing this reading because like the first episode <laughs> is so funny when that happens when like the, you, you like the like Shiro sees. Um, Lamia come in for the first time and there's this keyboard flourish and their eyes yeah. meet and it's just like ah it's so funny it really is because it's just these two soulless puppets looking at each other being spun around after someone's just poorly delivered a line Hi everybody Ian here I just wanted to interject quickly because I realised after we had recorded that I had completely forgotten to talk about Thunderbolt Fantasy which was a fantasy puppet show that started airing in 2016 because we talked about the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance and you know modern puppet shows and kind of some of their accessibility and Thunderbolt Fantasy um, has been going for seven years this has been quite a success because it's had three 13 episode tv series and two movies and there is still more to come craig and lewis haven't seen thunderbolt fantasy but um i absolutely love it and when i saw the announcements about it before it aired i was so so excited about it because i kind of do see it as the kind of spiritual successor almost to x-bomber because i love thunderbolt fantasy for all the same reasons that i love x-bomber um in that it is incredibly unique it is incredibly inventive it's massively entertaining and just very very different to the anime that's coming out much like x-bomber was really to the the anime that was airing in 1980 it's brilliant the third series um was absolutely batshit crazy and it was just so entertaining that like with Starfleet back in nineteen eighty two, you know, I just waiting each week for it was um it was really hard work. So um it's another show like X Bomber, please go and check it out because it's great fun and um just something really different that I'm sure you'll enjoy as well. Well, so I think probably get close to kind of wrapping this up. I mean, I, you know, after all this time and like I say, it's the thing I'm most 
nostalgic for mm. um and i've wanted to talk about this for you know a long long time i don't think it gets the love that it deserves out on twitter and any twitter no, and, and, and general although whenever we've spoken about it, there's been a lot of likes and a lot of interest i think that it, yeah. it must have a sort of niche following you know they, I, even when mm. we were talking about recording this this weekend there was a lot of people uh sort of uh liking the uh, com- liking the um the sort of announcement and stuff and when we first talked about doing it, it was a similar sort of uptake of interest, and in, and people were talking about the Blu-ray release and you know various things. So yeah, it's definitely got a, a following, but you know, like many anime, you know, it's it seems to be kind of somewhat of a niche one. Yeah, but it's like I, even with like grown-up, middle-aged eyes working at it, I still think it's an absolutely brilliant like mm. TV series. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think you know, an, an ex-bomber in Japanese because. I think the dub is just better in in Japanese, mm. um, but mm. it just you know it just works so well. It's got you know all those elements that we've we've talked about. You know, like drama, mm. its intensity, the peril, the mm. threat. You know, absolutely. It's just it's just got a bit of everything. It's got comedy in it as yeah. well. You know, there's some there's some funny stuff that happens in it as well. Oh yeah, um, there, it's just definitely some quite. There's something for well. everyone. Do you, there yeah, is there's a bit of yeah. there's a little something for everybody. You know, so I hope, you know, I do hope this podcast inspires some people to go and check it out. Um, you know, just saying like that niche, you know, it's obviously enough of a niche and enough of a market for Discotech to put out because they put out Starfleet on DVD originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then came the, you know, the standard definition Blu-ray with X-Bomber as well. And I was really, really surprised. I was, yeah. I was so happy, you know, when, when that came out. And it's like, well, they've obviously had a look and seen that there's enough demand to actually put out um, X-Bomber in its original form. So, um, you know, I do hope that's been a, a, a reasonable seller. For I them. hope so, um, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they're a business and they're not going to put out something they think they're going to make a loss on. But I think yeah. there, there still had to be a little bit of a, um, how can I put it? Um, a bit of a punch. Yeah, exactly, yeah. They, they were sort of, they were jumping at the deep end there. Yeah. They kind of... Yeah. There, there was it was definitely some risk involved, uh, but I hope it has sold well for them, and I hope more people will get to check it out because I do think it's a classic of a tira. Yeah. I mean, of course, as we discussed, I've got some nostalgia for it, but I can confidently say I can put that to one side and just look at mm. how finely crafted it is, how serious the Japanese yeah. voice actors take their roles, and how dramatic it can be. You know, like just it's full of mystery and intrigue. Characters on both sides, good and evil characters, are both really memorable. But yeah, it's that attention yeah. to detail at the end of the day, and you know all the sets and the sort of intricacies. I mean that the final fight uh, in the last episode, like the the yeah. the uh, can you imagine like how difficult that must have been to do without yeah. just making it look like two puppets colliding with each other? Like it's <laughs> it's like it's it, like, do, it uh, does look like that at some points. It, well, it does, yeah. I mean, it there's, does, there's but, definitely yeah. doesn't succeed in every everything it sets out to do but i think for the most part considering you know again not going to spoil territory but there's a big one-on-one fight between two powerful sort of uh characters mm. and it's this big sort of mythical showdown and i think mm. for the most part it kind of gets away with it and it's pretty cool uh the way it's kind of yeah. framed and done and it's that must have been so difficult to shoot it really must have been yeah, yeah definitely. i mean i remember Trey Parker and Matt Stone talking about Team America World Police and said they said never work with puppets. It's just a nightmare. 
you you will never <laughs> you'll never know the sort of bizarre sort of struggles that you get involved with and oh, how yeah. difficult it can all turn out. And I can really imagine that to be the case on X Bomb. It must have been you know yeah. a real ordeal in production at times, but it's to me it's turned out fantastically, and I'm just glad that we've got an option to sort of watch it in its original form. Yeah, 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 definitely. Mm. And just saying, you know. You're saying about separating the nostalgia. Like when I watched X Bomber for the review we were going to do last year, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of went in, you know, with like, oh, I remember, I can remember all these scenes, like, because things flash up and it's like I can literally almost transport myself back mm. 40 years to when I was a child and I first saw it. Because, you know, there's there's images and scenes and, and parts of, of Starfleet that are just like burnt into my retinas <laughs> yeah. um, almost. <laughs> yeah. um, but, Actually, watching it again, I actually got surprised at how like I just got into it because it's good. Mm. Yeah, you know, and like having not seen it for ten years, um, you know, I was just sat down and watched it, and like just got really into it, mm. you know. And it's like you know, I could completely put the nostalgia aside, and was just like I was just really enjoying watching it. Mm. It's like you know, you just kind of forget how well crafted and how well the story plays out mm. yeah. and all the parallel stories and elements and stuff kind of factor in and out of, of the main storyline. Um, you know, and it just, it just really truly stands up on his own two feet. And I just think it is actually aged really, really well, if I'm honest, um, like nostalgia side, I just still mm. do think it's like, yeah, it looks a bit old and clunky now. It is 40 years old, but I just still think it's a actually, it just stands up on its own merit. Yeah. I, I really do. I think you can see that labour of love that was put into every mm. single episode, and the the workman the workmanship, the craftsmanship that's went into it is is plain for anyone to see. I do I do regard it as a as a classic of its era, mm. and it is a very unique uh, show for many reasons we've discussed. Mm. Definitely. So I think that's a I think that's a resounding recommendation from the three of us. Mm. Yeah, I definitely um, say like if, for in terms of. I would say it's it's like uh, for a younger audience, all too watchable, mm. Um, mm. unless you were looking to educate yourself on foundation pieces of of the industry. Because I, I would I would like classify this as something that I would volunteer to watch on a second monitor as I'm working, you know, just to consume and mm. and uh, take in the history and the art. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely a, a piece that you could. Definitely, say needs to be held up in higher regard. Um, if it's if it's a niche, it should be at least like kind of like immortalized into the history books as some of a, a flagship piece of media. I really liked it. Yeah, I enjoyed watching I just, it. Uh, that's interesting because I was I was really unsure of what you were going to make of it, Lewis. Like I, I have to say, it's just you thought I was going to hate know, it. It's, I only hate well... smut. <laughs> <laughs> Effortless smut. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um because I, I I knew you could probably appreciate the the kind of craft in it mm. sort of thing. I really like miniature photography, yeah. even though I don't do it. I yeah. just like the idea of it. <laughs> I did it for yeah. a little bit, and I was like, Jesus, yeah, this is you... too hard. So <laughs> so I've got immense respect because I've always loved Ardman as well, mm-hmm. and I grew up with a lot yeah, of this kind yeah. of like animation, yeah. and I've always enjoyed yeah. this kind of animation. Um, and to see it like, I mean, to capture uh, such a consistent 
unique world when they're doing live filming it's not stop motion and you know they they've got a lot of moving parts to get such convincing yeah, shots yeah, is incredibly yeah. hard um and to use lighting in that way is incredibly hard and uh everything had to be so controlled but if anyone can do it it's the japanese so yeah, you know yeah. that's like there's a reason why this kind of sits um threshold above any kind of western um puppetry for its time yeah dedication cool. and commitment to the craft and i think that's probably a very very good note to uh to end the, yeah. the review on so uh, fair enough yeah So um, yeah, we'll kind of we'll wrap this up, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I say I've been look, I've been wanting to do yeah. this for ten years. <laughs> this review, no problem. And uh, it's been a great, a great uh, discussion about X Bomber and Starfleet. I'm so, glad um, to be able to get the chance to talk about it as well because it is very close to me heart for many reasons. Yeah. yeah so uh, so what's coming up, E? What's uh, what's what's next on the uh, retro world, and what's next on the retro anime podcast? On both podcasts, so next up on Retro Anime Podcast, we're doing um, a couple of war-based films with animals in. We're doing um, Penguin's Memory, A Tale of Happiness, and Bremen for uh, Angels in Hell. And then Craig and I on Retro Mecha Podcast, um, we will shortly be getting to our review of Dan Cougar. I know we said we'd be recording over Christmas, but again, life life just <laughs> just like has got in the way. I've been trying to... Uh, like this, the start of this year has just been very tumultuous for me. Um, but we will get round to that. So all those people who thought that like it's not happening, it is happening. And uh, hopefully, in not too many weeks' time, um, we will get out our Dan Cougar review, which is the uh, the first part of our Dan Cougar retrospective. So we're doing um, the TV series and the Requiem for Victims OVA, and then we will do all the remaining OVAs and Dan Cougar Nova. TV series uh, in in part two. So that's what's coming up next. So uh, where to find us? You can find us, both podcasts on all the same platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, wherever anything hosts podcast RSS feeds, you can generally find uh, both podcasts. Uh, find us on Twitter at RetroAnime or at RetroMecha. Um, and Craig, where can we find your blog? I am. I am. Um, I'm Ed's Retro World 
I'm at wordpress.com and also uh, you can find me at Anime Heads Retro on Twitter. And there you go. Lou, where can people find you? Um, you can find me uh, in Dublin. Um, <laughs> if you're walking around the streets, you might catch an eye on me. No, uh, I, you can, I, I don't have actually any, any socials or anything to put out. I'm just me. You can find me on this podcast, on the Retro Anime Podcast, uh, or on Twitter, um, which uh, is linked through uh, our Twitter as well. Yeah. So you okay. can find me there. And there you have it. Good. Right, and on that note, then, we will say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everyone. Yes. Bye for now. Bye, Bye, everybody. See you next time. opening and closing music of the podcast is the opening theme to Brave of the Sun Firebird, copyright to Sunrise Studios. All other music used within the podcast is copyright to its respective creator.